disruption zone. Opportunity lives where the status quo dies. Talking to the greatest innovators, disruptors, and off-the-wall inventors, we can scrounge up. You laugh, you'll learn, you'll be inspired. Now, here are your hosts, Leland Conway and Cameron Mills. All right, today's episode is about the crime wave that is uh, just basically ascending across America and specifically um, around the country, but also in Louisville. Uh, there's some f- some facts and statistics you're going to hear in this conversation that are just absolutely stunning, especially as it pertains to Louisville, but also around the rest of the country. And you guys know that I love the Pegasus Institute. They're based in Louisville. Uh, my friend Josh Crawford is the executive director there, and it is thank God for them because they, they talk about issues that – the mainstream media tries to ignore that politicians particularly try to ignore or they politicize and ignore real solutions to them. And so it's important that we have these conversations and particularly around the issue of crime. So I'm excited to welcome my friend Josh Crawford from the Pegasus Institute once again onto the program. Uh, but first, thanking our sponsor. Guys, home equity is at an all time high right now. So if you're thinking about staying put, but want to take advantage of that and Make your house your dream house. A great way to do that is to upgrade your kitchen. And the best way to do that is to call my friend Tim Montgomery at Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. We did our kitchen with them. They did such a great job that I'm pretty confident that's the reason why our house in Kentucky sold in like about a day. I mean, obviously, it was there were other elements of that property that were awesome. But when you walked in that house and you saw that beautiful kitchen... It just made people fall in love. It certainly did with us. They also did our master bath, so we used them twice. Here's the thing. Supply chain problems are all over the world, but not at Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. They have beautiful cabinets in stock ready to go. So if you're a do-it-yourselfer or a contractor, they can help you out with that as well. Three designers on staff standing by waiting to help make your dream kitchen come true. So call them. Michelle, Kelly, and George all want to talk to you. You can call them at 502-930-3304. That's 502-930-3304. And let your kitchen dream come true today. LouisvilleCabinetsAndCountertops.com. My buddy Josh Crawford, Executive Director of the Pegasus Institute. They're an independent think tank based out of Louisville, Kentucky. How are you, sir? Good to talk to you again. I'm doing very well. How about yourself? I'm great. Um, I'm disturbed. Um, by what I'm seeing happen around the country uh, this last weekend, there were big news stories about these sort of smash and grab raids in Apple stores in Beverly Hills and San Francisco throughout Los Angeles. There's uh, a massive crime upheaval throughout the country in major cities, Minneapolis, after defunding their police or attempting to uh, certainly in Denver, the area where I live. I know where you live in Louisville. It's just an un- insane amount of crime and homicide that's been happening is this tied to the effort in the last year or so of leftist politicians to defund police yeah defund the police has been successful and your listeners won't be able to to make this out but i'm putting successful in air quotes in in two ways right the first is that some cities and some uh police departments have mistakenly actually defunded their police department, significantly reduced the budgets of their police department, uh, and that's had negative consequences. But the second way that sort of defund the police has been successful is that even in, in places that haven't actually reduced their police budgets, they've created an environment in which law enforcement doesn't want to do their job anymore. 
Um, and by, by do their job anymore, I don't mean that they're not waking up with the, the same zeal that they had before, but um, the, the black cloud that is over law enforcement in this country makes law enforcement officers less likely to do things that are, uh, are sort of risky or that the kinds of things that we want law enforcement officers to do, but if they go sideways could, could end up uh, on the wrong side of a Twitter mob. And so in that sense, it's been sort of successful that way too. And so some cities have actually defunded their police departments, which is a bad idea. And then other cities have just created this environment in which law enforcement is doing less because they feel like they aren't supported by their leadership uh, and folks are leaving the profession voluntarily. So in a way, it's demoralizing the police, um, even if you don't completely defund them. Uh, you know, like in Colorado, where I live, they, um, you know, they adjusted. They didn't completely take away qualified immunity, but they adjusted it so that the police now have a much bigger uh, burden when they, you know, are under that kind of scrutiny. And again, I don't have a problem with holding police to scrutiny. I mean, these are people who walk around with guns in our society. We definitely want to hold them to a high standard and a high level of accountability. But we also don't want them to be so nervous about what could happen in the aftermath that they don't do their job to save people's lives and livelihoods. And so it it feels as though there's a massive demoralization because it all starts with a good idea, the granular ideas that we have conversations about better relationships between police departments and communities. I'm on board with that. I think after George Floyd, everyone in America was on board with that. And then it just went off the rails with the whole idea of, no, every cop is bad and we need to defund them all. And we need to we got we got U.S. Congress people saying we need to get rid of police altogether and replace them with social workers. I mean, it's such asinine ideology driven, ridiculous, stupid policies. Yeah, I think it's reflective of the fact that we genuinely have different North Stars for law enforcement and public safety policy in this country. I think there's there's folks like myself and like you and good folks on both sides of the aisle who look at law enforcement and say that that is an essential function of government, that they are the primary protector of public safety in this country. But we want that done constitutionally. We want them to respect the rights of individuals and of communities. And if there are ways that we can improve that, then we ought to improve that. That's a very different North Star from we need to abolish police prisons, the military, so on and so forth. Right. Yeah. Does it, um, I forget which one is it. It's one of the they call them the squad, one of the extreme right. leftists. Aren't they proposing a bill that would literally release all federal prisoners within 10 years? Uh, that would not surprise me. I, I, I know live less a, than I live less than a hundred miles from where Ted Kaczynski is housed and where the right. shoe bomber is housed. Are you friggin' kidding me? Right. Well, luckily, Leland, I know that your house is going to be resistant to uh, <laughs> to any intruders like that. But I don't know that your neighbors will be quite as lucky. <laughs> I, uh, I see what you did there. <laughs> but but un, unfortunately, uh, these ideas, you know, that started in the academy years ago. Uh, that you can have that, that public safety is a constant, right? Um, and in some ways, these ideas are victims of the success of ideas from the 1990s, right? I mean, if you spent time in Times Square in 1993, you would you would look around, and if you weren't actively being mugged, you would you right. would be horrified by what you saw. Right. Um, in the ensuing 25 years, through really good policy, New York is one of the safest large cities in the world. Um, and so, uh, the victim of that success is that folks look around now and they say, oh, 
for 25 years, public safety has been a constant. We've had declining crime rates. We've had declining property crime rates. We've had declining uh, violent crime and homicide rates. And so we can we can virtually do whatever it is that we want to do with public safety. And so we can do all these things that make us feel good on the one end and we won't have any negative consequences for it. That's not to say that we didn't go too far on some of those things, right? That we well, were overly I, yeah, punitive was, with drug offenders and things like that, right? I was going to say, in, in New York's case, wasn't there uh, some of that that they did was actually bad? Well, it made the state, state, city safer. It was less free. I mean, the idea of stop and frisk, which I think is a terrible uh, policy that if the police just see you walking down the street, they can stop you and frisk you. I mean, unless you're doing something that could lead to what you know we would refer to as probable cause. Right. Um, there have been some places and cases where we've kind of gone overboard, which I think is what you were kind of getting to at the end. That there, um, there's a happy medium there between uh, you know rule of law and law and order, and you know, and, and that kind of thing. Right. And, you know, the 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 sort of academic question on on stop question and frisk and its effectiveness and to what extent it was overused um, is is, I think, largely an open question. I think a lot of folks would tell you that uh, that they did go too far in that direction. And I think that's probably correct. But again, the the antithesis of that should not be no cops at all. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And and like, for instance, in California in particular, haven't they done not only the defunding of the police and the demoralizing of the police, but in addition to that, they've decriminalized practically everything, which is what's leading to these raids where, you know, people are are raiding the Home Depot and threatening customers and they're taking the tools that they're stealing to go smash and grab, um, you know, at at the at the Gucci store or whatever other store they they find the, you know, wherever. And so and, and it, it so that that's the opposite of that, where we say, hey, steal anything up to nine hundred dollars. We're not even going to prosecute you. So guess what? Everybody steals eight hundred ninety nine dollars worth of stuff. Right. And unfortunately, there's a ton of moving parts here. Right. And, and California is kind of the prime example of that. One of the things that California did away with, in addition to raising its sort of felony theft threshold, was it did away with an offense that it had called petty theft with a prior. And so what petty theft with a prior was, was um, if you stole under that felony theft threshold multiple times, you could be charged with a felony, right? So if you know that that threshold is $900 and you steal uh, four times at 450, then you could be charged with the felony kind of thing. Right. Um, as opposed to having to go above uh, that threshold every time. In doing away with that, they really completely disincentivized um, the prosecution of those kinds of cases, of those sort of like smaller, uh, what you're referring to as sort of smash and grab type cases. And so that's problematic. The other problematic thing that's going on right now. Uh, and there's some folks at the American Enterprise Institute that have done some really interesting work on this, is um, high rates of inflation correlate pretty strongly with high rates of property crime increase. Mm, Yeah. yeah. Um, As things become more expensive, folks will turn to illegitimate means to acquire those things. And so at the same time, you have some of this decriminalization. At the same time, you have this rhetoric and in some cases actuality of defunding the police, you have an inflationary environment in which things are more expensive and they push some people who sort of teeter on the edge between criminality and civil society further into that uh, realm of criminality. Yeah, we're talking with uh, Josh Crawford, Pegasus Institute, an independent think tank based in, in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, you, you, you're talking about the convergence of the perfect storm here. And in a lot of ways, uh, Michael Schellenberger was right, the former progressive and the author of the best-selling book, San Francisco. 
progressive policies are ruining our cities and frankly our country because the more these policies spread and they converge together the worse they make the situation for the idea of rule of law absolutely i, I mean the we we being sort of society at large tend to think of the criminal justice system as as police and prosecutors and prisons and things like that but there are so many other ways that you can degrade the rule of law that make those kinds of uh, systems more necessary, mm -hmm. right? And that's a lot of what he's talking about in that book. You can do things around your homeless population. You can do things around your mental health populations. You know, deinstitutionalization in the 1980s gets a lot of attention because it is like the ultimate example of a well-meaning policy that had a tremendous amount of negative consequences, mm -hmm. right? Right. Folks looked at the situation in these large state-run hospitals and said, this is abhorrent. We need to get these folks out of here. And they, they did that, but they did not have the community supervision models in place for these folks. And so now in most states, the largest mental health provider is whatever your largest prison or jail is. Right. The largest mental health provider in North America is the LA County Jail. And so there's a lot of these things that that some of our friends on the left do with the best of intentions that end up having really negative consequences. And when you start to pile them on top of each other, like we were talking about, you can you can really degrade the rule of law and you can really see negative consequences. So what's the solution here? Because it seems like we do have this perfect storm. We have rising inflation. We have um, really silly political policies that are being instituted by those that are in charge right now. We have that converging with. Um, you know, past year of, you know, a lot of cities are turning that around now. Oakland, I saw, is trying to reinstitute their budget for police because they've realized, look, this doesn't work. Is that is it, is it as simple as that? Is it is it refunding? Is there how do we get back to where we have a mature conversation about better community relationships with police while at the same time upholding rule of law? Yeah, so that is um, that's the the most important question, I think. And it's easy to oversimplify it and just say, like, look, if we just refund the police, things will be fine. Right. Um, refunding is part of the equation and not only refunding, but but to be frank, and you and I have talked about this before, additional funding for things like more training and better training and to help you recruit and retain top quality officers and things like that. And so money is a part of the equation. But what really is going to fix this is folks who have the ideological persu persuasion that you and I do having real solutions for these areas. And so one of the things that we've tried to do, we focus a ton on urban violence, on homicides in particular, right? Um, other people are going to have to figure out the inflation question. Other people are going to have to figure out some of these other things. But we are dedicated to solving that homicide question. And we can do that in a way that improves police community relations because there is no one, no one in a city who wants the violence and the homicides to stop more than the law-abiding citizens that make up the overwhelming majority of the neighborhoods where these homicides are concentrated. Right. And if they see law enforcement doing the things that you and I and everyone else value in law enforcement, which is taking out of the community, the members of the community that are making life miserable, then you can start to improve those relations. If you do it in a way that is targeted, uh, that uh, takes the weeds out to let the garden grow as a legislator here in Kentucky, a former legislator here in Kentucky used to say pretty frequently, um, you can start to improve those relations um, when you start to to do things that that make the neighborhood and the community better through non law enforcement mechanisms. Uh, one of the things that we look a lot at 
is what I refer to as built environment. And so that's things like adequate street lighting. It's cleaning and greening vacant lots. It's tearing down abandoned buildings that are a blight on the neighborhood and are targets uh, and, and attractors of crime. Once you start to do things like that, you can not only build back those community relations, but you allow a community to help build itself back, right? Mm -hmm. Once that sort of base level of order is reestablished, then you let the community develop the community that it wants to develop, right? Mm -hmm. You allow folks to organically create the neighborhoods that they want to create. Yeah, I love it. Um, and I think that that but that requires a much more mature conversation than is being had mo in most of the country right now. Let's talk about Absolutely. Louisville, uh, where you live, where I am from, uh, my home state of Kentucky. Um, sorry, my dogs are in the background and they're having a good time right now. They're just having a ball. Um, so let's let's talk about what's going on in Louisville. When when I was there doing the show on our sister station, WHAS, they uh, there was a couple of years that records were broken in terms of homicide. Apparently, this year has blown the, 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 the lid off of that. How many times in the last 10 years has Louisville uh, broken the record for number of homicides in a year? Yeah, so we have broken our record three times uh, just since 2016. So 2016 was all our of that, issue. All of that while Mayor McBike Lane uh, was the mayor. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. That, that is correct. Um, I, I appreciate you being able to get even uh, out in Denver now a, a reference like that. In. Um, so, yeah, in, in 2016, we had our then deadliest year ever uh, with 117 homicides. Um, that was our deadliest year, but not on re not only on record, but uh, we hadn't had a year with north of 100 homicides since the early 1970s. Yeah, and I so Louisville, Louisville from 1980 to 2014 averaged about 54 homicides a year. And for a city our size, that's really pretty good. It was one of the safer, safer large cities in the country. And then everything changes in 2015. 2016, we hit that record. Things are pretty flat in the 17. There are slight declines in, um, in 18 and 19, although we don't erase the gains uh, that were made starting in 2015. And then things really exploded last year. We had 173. And then this year so far, we already have 175. And so with uh, with just over a month left to go, we have already surpassed last year's 173. Um, our homicides are up 112% um, over the last two years. So from 2019 just to this point in, uh, in, in, in uh, 2021, we're up 112%. Uh, our non-fatal shooting numbers are up 96%. Um, so it's not just like folks are getting more accurate or uh, or or hitting their targets more frequently. The the violence there's has increased more, considerably. Yeah, there's just more of it. Um, and and every time I see the mayor make a statement, he tends to blame guns. Yeah, it, guns are an easy target, right? Because most of the violence is committed with a firearm, right? Most of the non, hundred percent of the non-fatal shootings by the nature of the statistic are committed with a firearm. Right. And then most of our homicides are committed with a firearm, right? Um, 94% of our homicides so far this year in the city of Louisville have been committed with a firearm, right? But ultimately it's just a tool. And, uh, well, the, they're also the vast, vast majority of them are also not legally owned. Correct. So that's the other thing, right? Uh, about 85% of criminal homicides are committed with a firearm in which the uh, possessor of that firearm, the person who committed the murder, is not the lawful owner of that firearm. And there are a number of ways in which they acquire that firearm. Typically, the acquisition happens on the black market, so that gun is already illegally 
uh, on the market in the first place. Uh, sometimes it's things like straw purchases or, or fraudulent acquisitions and things like that. Um, but but a lot of it is our weapons that are acquired on the black market in the first place. So there's obviously I don't want to you know, I mean, I lay a lot of this at the feet of Mayor Fisher. I think he's a failed leader. I think he's a decrepit leader. I think he's he's vapid of any good ideas. Um, I, he loves to throw around things like possibility city and um, all of that while, you know, in a way, a great American city is burning down in some ways. Um, and and it, it saddens my heart because Louisville is one of the great American cities. There's so much history, so much culture, so much, um, you know, just awesomeness to that area. And yet it, it sits in a burning cesspool of violence right now. Um, but there are these other factors that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast that, uh, essentially play into this but also he hasn't really done anything that's the thing it's like yeah you you know we the last two years have had extenuating circumstances there are there is this rise in inflation which does tend to lead to more criminal activity but he doesn't have an excuse because there there hasn't been really any serious solutions put into play at least that i've noticed am i wrong yeah so so um a little over a year ago um then United States Attorney Russell Coleman, yeah, I like that guy. Um, He's a good dude. Uh, a, along with the mayor, some officials from the mayor's office, folks from the John Jay College of Criminal Justice, announced that the group violence intervention was coming to Louisville, and that's something that we have advocated for and done research on since I came to Pegasus in 2016. It was one of our first um, sort of priority areas. This sort of so-called focused deterrence policing. And uh, unfortunately, that has not unraveled as quickly as we would like. Uh, but when that is fully operational, when they begin to do things like call-ins and demonstrated enforcement actions and things like that, I am hopeful that that will have a meaningful impact on violence here in the city. Um, but we should we should we should give him, I guess, some kudos then for being at least cooperative with that, right? I mean, correct, right? That was. That was an initiative out of the U.S. Attorney's Office at the time. That's who really pushed for it. Um, but the mayor is sort of first amongst equals when it comes to GVI because it's, right. it's LMPD who's the primary law enforcement component, although uh, the federal partners are all there and, and things like that. And so uh, that being successful will determine whether or not uh, violence is meaningfully reduced in the city or not. Um there are other things that, that haven't quite happened the way we would have liked. In 2018, the Kentucky legislature passed a bill that enhanced penalties for uh, incidences uh, of violence committed in furtherance of gang objectives. Uh, Louisville has a, a gang problem, has had a gang problem. That gang problem has gotten worse, not better. Um, and we just now are getting the first case uh, in Jefferson County that is being enhanced under that law that's been on the books since uh, since 2018. Um, and so there are a number of things that could have been done better over this time period. LMPD is down uh, more than 300 officers at this point. And well, so they're, they're all better. going to the little cities that are offering to pay them more that have less crime. So there's some of that, <laughs> and that's always been the case, right? Right. Right. But the, the larger problem right now is that we're losing folks to other large cities that right. they would rather go police in Nashville. They would right. rather go police in Chicago mm. than they would than they would police. Boy, in, that's in saying Louisville. something. If you'd rather go police in Chicago than police in Louisville. Well, Louisville's got a higher murder rate than Chicago has right now. 
That's um, insane. Are you serious? Yeah, so Louisville and Chicago had nearly identical murder rates last year. Louisville's murder rate through the first 10 months of the year is uh, about 18% higher than Chicago's. Wow. I mean, that's insane. Yeah. That That's just shocking. Yeah, and... <laughs> And look, there's a, a number of things that confound this, right? Our homicide clearance rate, which uh, for your listeners who might not know, uh, that is if an arrest is made within a year of uh, of the the incident happening. So it's not even a conviction or a, or a trial. It's just an arrest. Right. Our homicide clearance rate right now for 2021 is 35%. Wow. Our clearance rate for non-fatal shootings is 18%. So... Um, you, so you, know, you have a, you have an eighty percent chance of getting away with it if you shoot somebody and wound them. Correct. Jeez. Yeah, you've got a six. You've got a sixty-five percent chance of getting away with it if you murder someone. That's insane. And look, I, I don't like to advertise those statistics because you don't want you right. Know, most right. Of these yeah, folks are rational actors. <clears throat> right. You don't want to incentivize uh, behaviors you don't. want No, but law-abiding citizens need to also know this because that's how you hold sure. those leaders accountable to what's going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Wow. And so, I mean, it is things are particularly bad here. And, you know, to the extent that that other cities are experiencing this, you'll hear this often. Oh, it's happening all over the country. Right. And there's an element of truth to that. Right. That that first and foremost, there are cities where it's not happening. And so we should look to those cities to, to understand why it's not happening there. But to the extent that it's happening all over the country, it's because a lot of cities made the same mistakes around the same time. Right. right. A lot of cities started to do bad policies around the same time. And so the fact that it's happening in Louisville and Minneapolis and Milwaukee and Birmingham, Alabama and Rochester, New York, and all of these different places are sort of spiking and increasing at the same time is not reflective of, of crime becoming like the weather. Right. Like it's not as if a low pressure system of violence has swept across the country and there's nothing we can do about it. Right. Uh, these are responses to changes in policy that can be changed back and can be changed uh, for the better, uh, even from where they were before. Right. The, the the advocacy in this space should not be that we go back to the way things were just a, a half decade ago because they were wonderful. There was still uh, a tremendous amount of uh, murder and death in certain communities. There was a, a strong mistrust between law enforcement and members of those communities. And so we ought to be better than we were before, but uh, but we spent a, a a good half decade now going in the wrong direction on a number of these things, and it's time to not just reverse course, but to chart a better path. Fully agree. Wow, um, powerful stuff. Listen, um, Josh, I always love talking to you, and I am so glad the Pegasus Institute exists. Um, how can folks get a hold of you and follow your work? Because you do a lot of stuff on the economy, you do stuff on crime. It's a really great resource for people to kind of see what's happening and maybe find some some really good solutions to it good ideas yeah i appreciate that leland we've got a, a bunch of stuff actually coming out uh last week and this week on economic freedom and the role that economic freedom plays in, in human prosperity and so that's something for folks to look look out for well, as you know well. i'm gonna have you on again for that yeah happy to do that and so uh pegasuskentucky.org is the website uh pegasus institute on on facebook twitter Instagram, all of your sort of social media uh, places. That's how you can find us. Awesome. Josh, thanks so much, man. Appreciate you, brother. Stay strong. Stay safe. Thank you. You as well. All right. Have a good one. You too. Bye. Um, again, that was... Um, that <laughs> was awesome. 
I mean, in the sense that it's scary. I mean, those numbers. I had no idea that Louisville's murder rate was higher than Chicago's and that police officers would rather police there than in Louisville. Man, y'all got some uh, accountability to hold your leaders to. That's all I'm saying about that. So, wow. All right, guys, hope you enjoyed this episode. It was made possible by my friends at Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. Tim Montgomery and his work crews have a work ethic and a craftsmanship value second to none. That means second to nobody. I've seen them work. I know what their work ethic is. It's why I believe in them. And I also know what the quality of their craftsmanship is. That's also why I believe in them. We had an ugly, unusable island in our kitchen, and they made it usable and beautiful. The work they did, I'm confident, is one of the main reasons why our house sold in less than a day when we put it on the market in Odom County. These guys are fantastic. And they have three designers on staff to help make your dream kitchen come true. George, Kelly, and Michelle are standing by waiting for you to call at 502-930-3304. See some samples of their work at LouisvilleCabinetsAndCountertops.com. And you know we're hearing about supply chain crisis all over the world right now? That's not the case at Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. They have beautiful cabinets in stock now ready to go. Go to the cabinet section of their website. Click on in-stock cabinets and look at all the amazing, beautiful styles from modern, like sleek, clean lines to beautiful country style and everything in between, shaker and everything in between. So check them out. You can see all of that online and they're ready to go. So if you're a contractor, do it yourself or or you just already know what you want, there's not going to be any delays in your project with Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. Check them out again, 502-930-3304 or LouisvilleCabinetsandCountertops.com. If you're in Louisville, Oldham County, or Southern Indiana, this is the place to go. Check them out again, LouisvilleCabinetsandCountertops.com. All right, guys, thanks uh, again to um, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. Also to uh, my co-host and co-executive producer, Cameron Mills. Uh, Coming up next is the uh, 200th episode of the podcast, so we're excited about that. We'll have something special for you on that one. Um, and it, and I just want to thank Dynamics Audio Productions for their help. They've been here from the beginning uh, with the podcast. We are approaching 100,000 downloads, so thank you to you. You can uh, share it with your friends at Apple Podcasts and Google Play and at iHeartRadio. You can download the podcast there. Just search The Disruption Zone, and it'll go right into your inbox. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Leland Show as well as at Greatly Londo on Instagram. And on Twitter, it's the, at Zone Disruption. And on and on Instagram, it's at The Disruption Zone. So follow us and uh, keep in touch with what is going on. Thanks so much for listening. I am Leland Conway, The Disruption Zone. <laughs> 